0: So, my prepared message um, for this weekend is uh, basically a continuation from last weekend, having to do with uh, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's uh, commonly been called. So, I'm going to read again from Mark chapter nine, starting with verse two. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Over the next couple weeks, um, I hope to take portions of it, and uh, I'll share a little bit about uh, of, of where uh, the direction I'm headed in my message. But this is from Mark chapter 9 beginning with verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and brought them to the top of a very high mountain where they were alone. And he, meaning Jesus, was transformed in front of them. And his clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. And Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he said this because he didn't know how to respond. For the three of them were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud. This is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So as I said last week, my prepared messages for both the video and the outdoor worship were from this story in the Gospel of Mark called the Transfiguration. And I used that scripture text to talk about the journey of coming down from what we commonly call mountaintop experiences to what we might often refer to as real life. Now. That the sort of backstory of this inspiration if you will is uh, Linda and I being away a couple of weeks ago when we were in the mountains um, celebrating our anniversary and 5,000 feet up beautiful view beautiful weather uh, very cool nights very pleasant days and of course Monday came and we all had to go back to work and so as we're driving down the mountain uh, going from about 5,000 feet up to uh, down to the Asheville area and uh, getting lower and lower into life, and lower and lower into uh, the city, and lower and lower into the heat. Uh, Again, we both kind of said with a sense of sigh and maybe a resignation, well, back to real life. And you know, it was that statement, back to real life, that stayed with me. And it really invited me into this deeper reflection. And I began to ask myself this question. Why does real life have to be faced often with a sense of resignation? Why can't I or why can't we lean into the possibility of transformation when it comes to our life? And that's what brings me back to this story in Mark 9 about Jesus on top of the mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. You might remember how the story goes. Jesus is at the top of this very high mountain with these three disciples. And the scripture text says that Jesus was transformed in front of them. His clothes were amazingly bright, brighter than if they had been bleached white. And Elijah and Moses appeared and were talking with Jesus. Now you sense, we sense, something significant is taking place. Two leading Old Testament prophets and figures, Elijah and Moses, are talking with Jesus. And Jesus' appearance is transformed right in front of the three disciples. And it's such an overwhelming moment, The common English Bible reads this way, quote, Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, honestly, who can fault Peter for this suggestion? I'm not going to. I mean, it was a spiritually powerful moment, and he didn't know what else to do. So when you don't know what else to do, when you want to capture that moment, you hold on to it, or in Peter's words, you enshrine it. Now, shrines are... Interesting places. They're usually buildings or usually shelters, sometimes rather lavish structures that contain the remains or the relics of a saint or some other holy person. And folks, they make pilgrimages from long miles away to these shrines. A few years ago, when I traveled and visited Israel for a couple weeks, uh, we visited a number of shrines Uh, the Garden Tomb in Jerusalem, uh, the Dome of the Rock, the Church of of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, and many more, but these three are very significant, important shrines to folks. All extremely beautiful places, cathedrals, gardens, but really to enshrine something, to keep it there, to enshrine an experience, to make it a static experience. And that's the distinction I want to make here. Peter was really trying to enshrine this moment, to hold on to it, to keep this moment. And in a sense, Jesus is saying, no, we've got to keep moving. This is a journey. And in some ways, we know that that whole metaphor, that whole image of journey is present in this scene because you have Elijah and you have Moses showing up. It's as if what Mark is trying to tell us is Jesus is the new Elijah. He is this new prophet come to give Uh, truth to power and come to speak to his people. He is the new Moses leading people forward into this new promise, this new future, this new possibility. And so Jesus is saying we're not here to stay here. We're here to be confirmed and affirmed and we're moving forward. I think as Quakers, we've never been a group to enshrine an experience because the Spirit is always alive. The living Christ is always alive and present in our life. In fact, again, one of our our wonderful phrases is, Christ is here to teach his people himself. Christ is present and here to teach his people himself. We don't enshrine that experience. We don't enshrine it in a building. We don't call the building a church. We are the church. The people are the church. This is a meeting house. And so we keep moving. We keep progressing. We're continually being transformed. So I stayed with the story in Mark. And as I allowed it to speak to me, I began to see how, at least for me, it was this story of spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation and even transformation of our lives, for the story tells us that Jesus was transformed in front of them. And to live in the way of Jesus is to live a transformed life. I think that's part of the bottom line here, is if I am going to live in the way of Jesus, if, if that's my intent, if I'm going to seek to live a life of faithfulness, if I'm going to live a life in which I am a person of faith or claim to be a person of faith, whatever branch or denomination that is, then there's some level of transformation that is going to take place, some level of transformation that needs to take place. In his wonderful pamphlet on Quaker membership, author, Quaker author Thomas Gates writes this, In the early years of the Quaker movement, Spiritual transformation was the non, or if you will, the essential condition, or the absolute necessity. Spiritual transformation was the absolute necessity of membership. For our first 90 years, he writes, there was no formal membership process and no recorded lists of members. One became a Quaker, not by meeting with the Clearness Committee but by being convinced of the truth, capital T, through an experience of the transforming power of God. This in turn led to a transformed life as manifested by the public keeping of the testimony, simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and service. In other words, early friends became members not through an application process, not through being approved at monthly meeting. Early friends became members because people recognized that their lives were being transformed by how they lived their lives spoke of their faith their lives spoke of their transformations their actions gave evidence to this transformative experience and it often gave evidence in in the form of the testimonies lives of simplicity lives of peace integrity being in community lives of equality seeing that of god and everyone now this is reminiscent the Apostle Paul's language in his letter to the Romans when he writes this, quote, Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. In other words, the patterns of power, patterns of violence, power uh, patterns of enemy making, patterns of pride, of greed, patterns of hate, patterns of exclusion, patterns of inequality, patterns of injustice. These are all patterns present in our world today, patterns that, that beckon us and call us and sometimes patterns that tempt us. Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, he writes, by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. To have our minds transformed is to have a whole new way of thinking. It's to have a whole new way of seeing. It's to understand life in a much different way. It's it's literally to think differently. That's what repentance is. And what Paul is saying is to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to have our minds, the way we see the world, how we see the world, how we understand the world, to have that transformed, our lives transformed by renewing our thinking. And in many ways, this really is simply living into the spiritual transformation that God invites us into. But this journey of transformation begins in the most unlikely of places, or maybe in the most likely of places, but probably the places we don't often look. Now, if you're like me, you want a program, you want a project, you want a book, maybe you want a seminar, or maybe you even want a retreat. And I'll be the first to say that I'm good for a good book, I'm good for a good conference, I'm good for a good retreat, uh, to somehow tap into this journey of transformation. But Peter, Peter and the three disciples, Uh, or Peter, and the other two disciples, they hear this voice direct them to another means. Quote, then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from the cloud, much like in the Old Testament as the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness. And this voice said, this is my son, whom I dearly love. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. The journey of transformation, I believe, begins with listening. Not just any listening, but listening to the voice of Jesus. As the scripture says, they looked around and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As if the scripture is saying to us, this is the one you listen to. This is the one that needs to shape your life. This is the voice we need to hear. So it really begs the question, or begs the questions, Who or what am I listening to? What voice or voices in my life get a hearing? Who or what are the voices in which I get my ultimate direction and that form and shape my life? And maybe the bigger question or questions have to do with this. What voice or what voices have the most authority in my life? That's a huge question. As I've looked back over my life, I realize that there have been times, and there's still moments, that I give too much authority to voices in my life that really have, um, that don't have my well-being at heart, that don't have my best interest at heart, that really don't have my flourishing at heart. And these are voices that come from sources around me, they come from external sources, sometimes they come from people, sometimes they come from memories. Sometimes they come from experiences but these are voices that sometimes I give way too much authority over my life. Voices of shame and guilt. Voices of bitterness and and grudges and, and sometimes vengeance. Voices of performance and comparison. Voices of other people's expectation. Sometimes voices of other people's opinions or their approval. Voices of criticism and judgment, which can be very, very hard. Voices of rejection, voices of cynicism and despair, and probably other voices as well. And again, these voices can come from sources in the present, or they could be voices from our past that we keep hearing that tape over and over and over again, as if it was yesterday. I've shared a story numerous times here uh, with you all. When I was a, a kid, in Iowa. We were staying with uh, my grandparents for the summer back in the 70s. We would just come back from Jamaica. And uh, one day I went out and played baseball with some of the guys in the neighborhood. I was probably seven or eight years old and I really didn't know how to play baseball. It was a new sport to me coming from Jamaica where mom and dad were missionaries. So I played with them one day and I figured I did pretty well. I didn't know the rules so the next day or two I went looking for them, got on my bike and rode around the little neighborhood there in Marshalltown, Iowa and find them found him in one of the uh, backyards of one of the guys, and I got off my bike, and I just simply said, hey, can I play? And one of the guys came over to me, who I assumed was probably the leader of the group, and he simply said to me, no, you can't play. You're no good. So I went back to my grandmother's house and uh, cried, and my family tried to comfort me, and my mother tried to comfort me, and, and I'm sure that eventually I got over it. And, uh, but for some reason, in my heart, in my soul, in my life, That was a voice that I kept hearing over and over and over again for a long time, you're no good. And what would happen is by hearing that voice, by giving that voice authority over me and my soul and my journey and my life and my humanity, basically I spent my whole life trying to prove to everybody that I was good. I spent my whole life trying to prove to everybody that I was worthy. I spent my whole life trying to prove to everybody that I could succeed which really made me a very driven person, which really made me a very achievement-oriented person. I tend to be that way naturally, but I was just that and even more. And what they did that was created this ongoing endless hold in my life where I could never do enough. Now, I battle with that voice a lot. And sometimes I give that voice way too much authority. But I've learned and I hope I'm growing and being transformed to give another voice, capital V, more authority presence in my life. Jesus heard only one voice, the voice of his Heavenly Father, the voice that spoke to him on two occasions, these words, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And then there's the invitation by God, simply this, listen to him, that is, listen to Jesus. Now, when I hear the voice of Jesus in my life, it's going to sound a bit like this, and this may be different for you, but when I hear the voice of Jesus in my life, it sounds a bit like this. It sounds like the voice of grace rather than the voice of regret and failure. It sounds like the voice of hope rather than the voice of despair and cynicism. When I hear the voice of Jesus, it sounds like the voice of compassion for others and for myself, rather than the voice of mean spiritedness and hard-heartedness or just wanting to get back at somebody. When I hear the voice of Jesus it sounds like the voice of peacemaking and peace building rather than the voice of bitterness or the voices of grudges or the voice of enemy making or hostility or or sometimes just the voice of lashing out at somebody. When I hear the voice of Jesus it sounds like the voice of wisdom rather than the voice of ignorance as Jesus' wisdom shows me how to live and the way to live that is the way to abundance and fulfillment. Often it's the voice of joy rather than the voice of self-pity. Sometimes when I hear the voice of Jesus, it sounds like the voice that helps me see the gaps in my life, the gaps between who I know I am and who, who I know I'm being called to be, and that puts me on a growing edge and, and gives me areas to focus on in my life. And sometimes when I hear the voice of Jesus, it sounds like Uh, sounds like the voice of love, deep love, rather than the voice of shame and self-rejection. It's a love that affirms my humanity, it celebrates my gifts, it recognizes my value, it redeems my failures every single time. Now these voices don't always come audibly, sometimes they do. It feels sort of like an impression on my heart, an impression on my soul, Uh, just a very very deep awareness. And, And part of being able to be aware of this awareness is to set aside time to listen, sometimes silence, sometimes solitude, sometimes paying attention to what's going on inside of us. You know, they say a good listening ratio is to listen 10 times more than we talk. Sometimes if some experts will say if we just did it twice more than we talk, we be, would be better off, but listening 10 times more than we talk, a ratio of 10 to 1 which really means that in our own spiritual life, am I listening more than am I talking? Am I paying attention to what's going on inside of me, to what I'm feeling, to what I'm experiencing, to what I'm hearing being put upon my heart and soul? And particularly, am I listening to that voice of Jesus, that voice of love and compassion, of that voice which comes from the heart of God? Sometimes Jesus' voice comes to us, I think in experiences of tender moments, Sometimes tears, moments of wonder, moments of awe, even moments of grief. But all of these moments speak to us, as we often like to say as Quakers, speak to our condition. And that, my friends, is what I know is one of the real signs that Jesus is speaking to us. When Jesus speaks to our very condition and it connects, and it connects in a very deep way. Often a very loving way, often a very graceful way, sometimes in a challenging way, sometimes in a comforting way, but in a very, very deep way. Which brings us back to where we started, and that is this. How can our life's journey be one of transformation instead of resignation? How can real life become the place for real growth and transformation in our lives? And rather than escaping life, what if we engaged life? as the place in which we listen deeply to the voice of Jesus with everything going on around us and about us. You know, Henry Nouwen, the late author uh, and priest, wrote these words. The loud boisterous noises of the world make us deaf to the soft, gentle, and loving voice of God. God's voice of love wants to get through all the noise. God's voice of love wants to get through all the, all the boisterous noises. God's voice of love wants to get through all the chatter. God's voice of love wants to get through all of the clutter. God's voice of love wants to get beyond all the other voices we give authority to which do not have our best interest at heart. God's voice of love wants to get through all of that. And maybe even we will hear, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Some questions to consider as we, um, as we come to a close. What are the voices in my life that have the greatest authority over me? What are the voices in your life that have the greatest authority over you? And do they free you up? Do they liberate you? Do they help you flourish? Do these voices lead me? Do they lead you towards a life of faithfulness and flourishing? Or do they weigh you down with extra burdens and expectations? And am I listening for only what I want to hear or am I listening for what my soul most needs and the world most needs? Are you listening for what you only want to hear or are you listening for what your soul most needs and what the world most needs?